The Major League Baseball playoffs are here, and you can be part of the games. Play along with the game and actually predict the outcome of each at-bat. Thanks to an angel investor. Accumulate points and compete with their friends. When you're dealing with an angel investor, what kind of exit strategy do they like? IPO or company sale? Company sale, all the time. To get to the point of an initial public offering in an angel context is a very difficult thing to do. Does 10% success mean getting 1 out of 10 right or 10 out of 100 right? Angel investing is an emotional decision. If you love a company, you're going to believe the projections, crazy as that might be. And solving a 60-year-old cocktail party problem. We try to take voice out of background noise. And the conversation easier to hear. This is the Language of Business, a weekly podcast designed to inform and inspire entrepreneurs and anyone thinking about a startup. Learn about strategies that work and strategies that don't work. I'm executive producer Don Kelly. Our host is Greg Stoller, Harvard MBA and senior lecturer at Boston University Questrom School of Business. On this episode, we look at dealing with angel investors. Here's Greg Stoller. Thanks, Don. It takes many angels to get any business off the ground, but fans call might have what it takes to knock it out of the park. We're here with David Caruso, COO in the 128 Technology Corridor of Massachusetts, and welcome to Language of Business. Greg, thank you for having me. So what does Fans Call do? Fans Call is an interactive sports application designed for mobile apps on the phone, and we really provide an in-game experience right now for baseball fans, ultimately all sports. But to have people play along with the game and actually predict the outcome of each at-bat and accumulate points and compete with their friends. How does predicting differ than betting? In betting, you're actually basically putting something of value in play, saying, I'm going to bet $10 against that. In the case of Fans Call, we have no fees whatsoever. So basically, you're really just going in for the sake of the enjoyment of the game. There's no rewards and no upfront payments. So how do you make money? Well, we do it primarily on the whole notion of advertising. So we can sell banner ads to sponsors or actually sponsorships so where somebody could basically sponsor an entire game. For example, you know, Dunkin' Donuts is presenting today's Red Sox game. So they're not going to be sponsoring a certain batter or certain teams at bat. Not they're at all. They're going to be doing the entire game. Not at all. Just really for the game. The focus of our segment is on angel investing. How did your angels find you? Well, actually... The reverse is true. We had to go find them, okay? And the way we had done that is we developed a board of advisors and really used some of those advisors to give us access to people, in in our case, high net worth individuals, that would actually get behind our exciting idea at the time. And what value do angel investors provide? A couple things. The first is we really look for them for, obviously, the cash. I mean, that's the simple and most straightforward part of it. But the other thing we were really looking for and pretty adamant about as we interviewed folks and and actually worked with them to have them understand our opportunity here was, did they really help us with, you know, um, experience around the funding and, you know, capitalization process and then also the whole notion of market reach and access? You know, can they help us grow and launch the product? Do you feel you've benefited from their network or vice versa? They introduce us to more people with the kind of valuations that would help us, but also, I think, introducing us to you know, media partners, advertisers, all kinds of people in our network that made it much more stronger and viable for us. 
Did you need to give up majority control in order to get your angel funding? No, actually we didn't. We've given up, I'm going to say, probably around 20% of the company so far for the, the money that we have raised. So it's more of a minority position, but over time we expect that we'll have to give up more of that in order to grow the company to the multi-hundred million dollar valuations that we're striving for. When you go for your next round of financing, would you go back to the same angel investors first? Absolutely. We think that that's one of the things we talked about early on in the processes. Would they continue along with us down that path? Knowing not everybody could do it, but some would. And then, if not, could they introduce us to folks that would be able to continue down that path? Before we get to a real venture capital firm round, which is entirely changes the rules of the game. So you don't think that angels could bring you all the way? We actually, frankly, hope that's the case, but we've got to keep all our options open. So part of the network effect was to get us in front of some of the venture capital firms to get the awareness out there of us as a business in this community. How often are the angel investors in your office? We see some of them probably every other week or so. We have a routine of communicating with them monthly, so we actually put a, you know, a written communication together of our business progress, our challenges, and where we need help. Are they challenging you or are you challenging them? They do challenge us. In fact, one thing that a recurring theme is what are the proof points of the business? You know, are you acquiring users? Are you signing up new advertisers? Very important that they do push us very hard in that regard. Do they prefer you to have a certain type of exit strategy? Not necessarily, but I think that the opportunity is, presents itself that in three to four years we would have the chance for some kind of exit. I think that largely they'd prefer to see us do a sale because that's you know, obviously one and done kind of transactions. Are they happy with only baseball or are you or them encouraging other sports? A lot of pull from the investors for other sports. This fall we'll be launching our football product. Some of the investors have encouraged us to look at cricket with you know 1.5 billion fans out there. Soccer is another one. PGA golf is one that's also on our radar screen as well. David, thank you. Thank you, Greg. It was a great time today. David Caruso, COO of Fans Call here in the 128 Technology District of Massachusetts. Coming up, how does an angel investor find you? You go looking, that's how. Plus, solving a 60-year-old cocktail party problem, keeping the background noises out, and the conversation easy to hear. But first, does 10% success mean getting 1 out of 10 right, or 10 out of 100 right? As the language of business look at angel investing continues. An angel investor might consider a 10% success rate to be phenomenal, but does that mean 1 out of 10 or 10 out of 100? Ben Lettower knows a thing or two about that. And Ben, welcome to the Language of Business. Thank you very much. So which is it, one out of 10 or 10 out of 100? Well, I'm afraid statistics will tell you that you have to go with a larger number of investments before you can be assured of seeing the kinds of returns. Even though one in 10 might succeed, you can invest in 10, but you didn't find the right 10. Over perhaps the last five years, how many have you invested in? I have a total of about 25 active investments and another dozen that are either exited positively or exited with holes in my wallet. We first spoke with you in 2013. How have those investments been doing? Well, most of them are still alive and doing very well, thank you. We still don't know how they will turn out. Are you happy or sad that they are doing well but haven't had an exit strategy? I'm very happy that they're doing well. I would love to have an exit because I like to play more. You mentioned a few years prior that if you were getting in the 10% in terms of return, you were ecstatic. Has that changed? I believe I said 10Xs in return, not 10% in return. Overall, I would love to see the portfolio do 10% or even 20% or better. 
but a one in ten chance at a 10x is great, and if I have a one in 100 chance at 100x, I'm quite happy too. I'd love to see 100x in my portfolio, and I think there might be some sleeping there. How has your investment philosophy changed over the past few years? Initially, as many angels invest, they discover that they're investing too much in the early stages so that they can't build a broad enough portfolio. And so I started off investing larger amounts in the fewer companies. And very quickly I learned that you needed to invest in more companies and that my personal fund was going to run out at some point. So I reduced the amount I was investing. Over time, I've decided that maybe you need to do even more than that in order to find perhaps that 100x nugget, you need to invest even smaller amounts in even more companies. And so that's the philosophy of I'm approaching now. Do you make the investment decisions as a lone wolf or with a group? Yes and yes. I am a member of two groups, Boston Harbor Angels and Walnut Ventures. And I make a lot of investments through those groups. Since I'm a small investor, as we've just discussed, I need a lot of people to ride along with me in order to make the investment work for the company. I make a lot of investments through those groups, but in addition, I do a few investments on my own or with other syndicates that exist through AngelList or through some of the crowdfunding sites. What advice would you give to someone starting off who wants to be an angel investor? Join a group is certainly a big thing. That was where I learned all the ropes and learned how to do this stuff. The best education is to see people in action, investing in companies, see what works, and decide what will work for you. Any rule of thumb in terms of how much of a haircut you would advise someone to give financial projections? You don't believe financial projections. Things don't work the way they say. It takes longer, it costs more. We usually look at the financial proje projections, which have to fit a certain formula in us for, in order for us to look at the company at all. And then we shave it all down to a quarter maybe of what they say. And if that still looks reasonable, we're happy with it. On the other hand, angel investing is an emotional decision. If you love a company, you're gonna believe the projections crazy as that might be. How about technological claims? We tend to invest at the point that much of the technology has been developed. That said, sometimes the technology still needs a good deal of work and we do sometimes actually look at code, look at the technology. We certainly look at patent portfolios if those are relevant. So we like to see that the technology is going to work. But really, technology is usually not the gating factor in a company's success. It's bringing it to market, finding product market fit, and then successfully selling it. How about chemistry of the management team? That's a huge thing, of course. We love our entrepreneurs to be what we call coachable, that they listen to us and give us reasoned responses, not always agreeing, but giving us reasoned responses to our criticisms and suggestions. But we really want entrepreneurs who can think clearly because we know the business plan that we invest on the next day is not the business plan that we are going to be moving forward with. Pivots are common. When you find out that venture capitalists have entered a company that you had previously funded, what is your first reaction? My first reaction is that I have to increase my patience because their timelines look longer than mine. So I prefer to see companies that won't need VC funding. On the other hand, if I really want to see that 100x, very likely I'm going to need venture funding. Ben, thank you. My pleasure. Ben Latower, New England-based angel investor on location in Durham, New Hampshire. Still to come, solving a 60-year-old cocktail party problem, keeping background noises out, and the conversation easy to hear. But first, how does an angel investor find you? You go looking, that's how. 
when the Language of Business look at angel investing continues. Our sponsor is Art Lifting. If you have a small business, or even if you run a Fortune 500 company, you can uplift the look of your office with Art Lifting. Art Lifting has over 1,300 artworks in a variety of styles and prices. You can buy them or rent them and switch them up on a rotation every month or so. But wait, there's more. All of the Art Lifting art is by artists who are homeless or dealing with disabilities. So you not only brighten and uplift your office, you're helping local communities across the USA. To learn more and view the collection, go to artlifting.com. The Language of Business look at angel investing continues. Once again, here's Greg Stoller. Angel investors have been in on the ground floor of some of the most famous companies across the United States. But has it been worth it to them financially? We're on location in Cambridge with Gus Lawler, who is an angel investor and partner at Healthcare Ventures. Gus, welcome to the Language of Business. Good to be here. What is the difference between angel investing and venture capital? I think generally speaking, angel investing is smaller sums of capital. Angel investors typically have less control over the investments that they make and the companies that they're involved with. And I think generally speaking, the investments that are made by angels carry with them less diligence and less overall expertise in the area. Venture investing, on the other hand, is characterized by extensive diligence, lots of control, much larger syndicated financing. Generally, I think probably a greater expectation of outcome. Which do you prefer? I enjoy them both, and it's the reason I do both, and they both satisfy very different interests of mine, very different itches to scratch. I enjoy the excitement of investing in something that has the potential to be large or extremely valuable, and I think both forms of investing offer that. Is the dilution worth it to you as an angel? It can be. Uh, you don't have a real clear sense of the capital required to get from point A to B. And you don't have a clear sense that your syndicate of angels can supply all that capital. You can get caught out and the dilution can make the investment painful. On the other hand, if you pick your investment carefully and you have enough capital around the table to get it to someplace good, the returns can be extraordinary, can exceed the returns associated with a typical venture investment. But a return is only a function of the amount of money that you've invested. Financially, is it worth it as an angel? If you have a successful investment, it certainly is. Do you have angel funds or do you treat each investment individually? I treat each angel investment individually. So I'm not part of any organized syndicate. We don't do angel investing here at Healthcare Ventures. The angel investing that I do is entirely on the basis of a network and friends who call and have a suggestion about a potential investment, piece of technology that might come to us as a potential venture investment, but my judgment will be that it's not perfectly suited to the venture world, but could be kind of interesting in a smallish way as an angel investor. Do you invest in hot companies or hot segments? I only invest in the life sciences space. I don't understand high tech and I don't try to invest in something that I don't understand. Over the years, I've invested in biotechnology and devices and diagnostics and have developed a certain, I think, intuition about those kinds of deals. So uh, show me an opportunity as an angel in the life sciences space. I'm interested, whether it's hot or not. That's where I'm interested and focus my attention. Even if an entire industry or sector might be in decline? Yeah, because there's an opportunity to make money in declining sectors as well. Keep in mind that the life sciences sector is by no means declining. It's got its issues, there's no question about that, but it's not declining. 
Would you prefer to be first in as an angel or later on because there's less risk? I would prefer to be an angel investor in a deal where I can understand the beginning to the end of the transaction. So the angel investments that I've made, typically I've been in the first round, but it's because I've had line of sight to all of the events that I think reasonably will happen to get me to an exit. Company sale or IPO? Company sale. All the time? All the time. Why? To get to the point of an initial public offering in an angel context is a very difficult thing to do. Typically, companies that move toward an initial public offering have more substantial amounts of capital invested in them. They have higher burn rates generally. They take longer to develop to the point where they're ready-made for an initial public offering. A sale of a company can occur after it achieves an important technical milestone. So the sale of a company almost invariably will happen sooner than you could ever reasonably plan an initial public offering. Fewer angels with more money, less money, but more angels. Well, more money is always the key. You never have enough money. You always underestimate the amount of time and underestimate the amount of capital that any investment requires. So if I had to choose between those two, I'd say fewer angels, more money. Gus, thank you. My pleasure. Gus Lawler, angel investor and partner at Healthcare Ventures here in Cambridge. Still to come, solving a 60-year-old cocktail party problem, keeping background noises out, and the conversation easy to hear. Once again, here's Greg. Universities love to spin out their technologies, but what happens then? We're on location here in Durham at the University of New Hampshire with Johan Meisner and Kevin Short. Gentlemen, welcome to the Language of Business. Thank you. Thanks for having us. What is Setem Technology? So Sedum Technology was a spin out of the university and we're studying essentially the 60-year-old cocktail party problem where we try to take voice out of background noise and enhance it so that speech recognition works and eventually we hope to enhance hearing aids. What is the relationship between Sedum and the University of New Hampshire? Well, a lot of the technology we developed started at the university. Uh, we had done a spin out earlier and uh, this is focused on the new area but it's essentially licensing the technology I developed at the university, but we developed all kinds of new technology within the company. As the CEO, where did you get the original funding from? The original funding came from angel investors. We had uh, contacts primarily to two groups were funded by the Ecoast Angels, a local New Hampshire group, as well as Walnut, a Boston-based group, and then a number of other individuals. Do the angels care that the technology has been licensed? Of course, it's extremely important so that the company has a claim on the technology in the future and that future investors are assured that there is value in the company. Since you have licensed the technology as the chief technology officer from the universities, how does that affect the valuation of the company? Well, as long as the licensing agreement is clear, it doesn't have any downstream effect that's a problem. The nice thing is that you know because the universities have vetted the technology, and usually the universities often apply for patents, that you have defensible technology that you can build a company around. What do you think the angels are looking to get out of this process? Well, I think angels, of course, want to make a profit, but many of the angels get involved in angel investing because they like the startup environment. They like the excitement of trying to take a nascent idea and build it into something that can affect people, society, and ultimately make sales. What do you think is the biggest benefit from having a network of angel investors? In our company, we use the Angel Network to find a chief financial officer that we can utilize on a part-time basis. And for a small company like Setem Technologies, that's a very efficient way of having proper financial controls in place. 
Will angels be able to provide you with your complete funding? Angels usually provide the initial funding and then at the appropriate stage in the business development you usually go to venture capitalists and find strategic investors. We as a company have already reached that stage. We have a, a large international company, Bosch, also as part of our group. What do you feel are the next steps for Setem from a technology perspective? Well, we're at the point where we're putting our technology into products and we're working with customers, installing our software either as firmware or on their existing platforms. And so that's where the excitement comes and you can see it out in the marketplace if everything goes well. What do you think would be the most ideal exit strategy? The ideal exit strategy would be to be acquired by one of the large leading voice recognition companies because our technology does not only improve existing speech recognition, but it also allows the technology to go one step further because we deliver so much more as potential input than other systems. If you had to go through this all again, would you have used so many angel investors? Having the angel investors come together as a group really makes it very efficient. You have one person who is often sitting on your board and can report back to the angels. So it really feels like a nice focal point and uh, you get a lot of support that way without having too many people to be talking to all the time. As the CEO, do you think that the angel investors and financiers report to you or vice versa? Of course, I report to the investors. There's no question about that. And the group of angels and the group of board members that we have can give us a lot of guidance and provide a fantastic network that we need. The basic structure here is we're a software company, but we've made the software efficient enough that it can run on single board computers and use sort of integrated microphones. So this component here is an integrated microphone system using MEMS mics and this is a single board computer and what started out as a technology that people thought might require supercomputers is now running in real time on a setup like this and this could all be shrunk down to something the size of a quarter or a, you know half a dollar what other similar technologies or products are you working on we're working on taking our software and embedding it as firmware in a chip and we're also working on taking the software and putting it on other people's platforms. So the ARM processors that we use are present in the Internet of Things for things like smart home that you might talk about, smart thermostats. There are even uh, refrigerators with tablets in them. And we're also putting them in car where they have hands-free communication as well as interactions with navigation systems and things like that. Johan Meisner, Kevin Short, CEO, CTO, thank you. Thank you very much. Setem Technologies here in Durham, New Hampshire. Thanks, Greg. We publish a new episode of The Language of Business every Tuesday. We're available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and TuneIn and Google Play and Stitcher or just say, Alexa, play The Language of Business. Searching for latest episode of The Language of Business. Here it is from my cast. We have downloads in 31 countries. Welcome to the Netherlands and the Dominican Republic. Thank you for the support. Our director is Mark Mandel. Social media by Jennifer Powell of ExcellentWriters.com. Consulting producer is Helen Tierney of Happy Accident Productions. Audio editing and voiceover by yours truly. Special thanks to Mike Carruthers of SomethingYouShouldKnow.net. For Greg Stoller and the entire team, I'm executive producer Don Kelly. Thanks for listening to The Language of Business.